0: If you have your bibles turn with me to James chapter 3 we're going to be in verses 1 to 12 James chapter 3 verses 1 to 12 my bad I left my water so I got to get that thing Would have had cotton mouth the whole time would have been really bad James 3, 1 to 12, and if you are able to, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Not many, should become bro- not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, And with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. In 1894, a collection of sayings was published. One of them is a very common one that many stay to this very day. It goes like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Sticks and stones may break my bones. But words can never hurt me. More often than not, you hear children saying this phrase. Many of us, if not all of us, remember saying these very words as a child. Children are taught this phrase with the intentions to encourage confidence. To ignore insults. To help promote resilience now the phrase sounds really good but the reality is the last part of the phrase words can never hurt me is totally false more often than not words actually hurts worse and cuts deeper than any stick or stone could ever And more often than not, the healing timeline for sticks and stones pales in comparison to how long it takes to heal from hateful and harmful words. Many of us know this from experience. We still remember the hateful and harmful words that we heard when we were children. Still resonating. And for some, the wounds are still fresh. The reality is, words are very influential and powerful. Words can be used to inflict great harm or bring about great help. Beloved, our speech can be poisonous, leading to death, or it can be medicinal helping those who have been afflicted. Our words can be used like a sword to cut someone up. Or it can be used like a scalpel. A precise cutting with the intentions to do long from our hearts. And so what or who controls your heart will dictate your words. For those of us who have been saved by the grace of God, Brought into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. James would say in chapter 1 that we are first fruits of the new creation. And that reality should radically impact our speech. Beloved, the truth is spiritual regeneration directly impacts verbal communication. So we have been saved. We have a new heart. It should show itself in a different talk, different speech. By God's grace, we have God's spirit. And so we are to exercise self-control, not just over our bodies, but sinful speech. Because God's power through the gospel is that transformative. Transformative. James gets at this, that the people of God are to be marked by self-control, and one of the ways that shows itself is in the way we talk. So our big idea for this morning's passage is this, because of Christ's saving work, we're to exercise self-control with our tongues. Because of Christ's saving work, we're to exercise self-control with our tongues. We have three points for us, three exhortations. First, be sobered by the power of your tongue. Second, be helpful with the usage of your tongue. And third, be consistent with your profession of faith. Be sobered by the power of your tongue. Be useful with the usage of your tongue and be consistent with your profession of faith. So last time we were in James, at the end of chapter 2, we saw James accentuate the importance of good works. That genuine saving faith shows itself by good works. That good works are the fruit of saving faith in Jesus. Now, As one hears this, it can be easy to assume that our words don't matter. To which James has a word for us. He makes it very clear that our words are very important. In fact, he's already given instruction briefly about our words. Think about chapter 1, verse 19. My beloved brothers, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. The very end of the chapter, verse 26, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Well, in this morning's passage, James is going to double-click on the usage of the tongue. And the first exhortation for us is to be sobered by the power of your tongue. Look at verse 1. James starts out, he says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. James begins with a warning in regard to the pursuit of the vocation of being a teacher in the church. Now, this warning isn't because the office of being a teacher or being an elder is bad. That is not the reason he gives this exhortation. In fact, it is a very true and high privilege to serve as a teacher of God's Word in his church. It is truly an honor to get to stand and exposit the word of God, to help brothers and sisters see what God has spoken and apply it to the lives of his saints, to help the body behold God's glory in Christ Jesus through the word and see to it that nothing gets in the way of seeing God rightly. James is not denying that at all. Instead, James focuses on the weightiness. Of being a teacher in God's church. This vocation is weighty, so much so that Paul would give specific qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3, qualifications to serve as an elder. And elders are those who teach in the congregation. And in 1 Timothy 3, Paul focuses on the capabilities of teaching, and he zeroes in and speaks mostly about the conduct of an elder. And so, brothers, my prayer is that if you're a member here, that you would aspire towards the office of an elder. And my encouragement would be to aspire towards it with sobriety, because serving as a teacher requires. A lot of talking. You have to open your mouth and explain God's word. You have to apply the words you shepherd His people. And with much talking comes with it the opportunity to sin in your speech and wound the Lord's sheep. Proverbs chapter nine, 10, verse 19 says, "When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is prudent. As an elder, we have the responsibility to be exemplary in the faith. And when Paul is writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, when he exhorts Timothy to set an example for the church, the very first thing he mentions is one's speech. An example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. James here focuses on the reality it's a weighty vocation. He says, Not many should become teachers because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. That pastors and elders will give an account before God of their life and their ministry as they've been called by God to serve as under-shepherds of the flock that Jesus Christ has purchased with his very own blood. The office comes with real authority that has a real impact on the people of God. Jesus will say it this way in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, "...to whom much is given, much is required." Brothers brothers and sisters, it is with this, in light of this, that I would say, pray for your elders. Pray persistently for your elders, for much is at stake. It is truly a weighty work. We would have to give an account And beloved, serving as an elder in a congregation is not a badge to boast in, but it is a call to be humble. James warns people from the pursuit of being teachers. It is also important for us to remember that any type of discipleship requires teaching. Just because you're not an elder doesn't mean that you shouldn't be sobered by this. We have d-groups, we have Bible studies, parents, or doing discipling with children. And in all those forms of discipling relationships, we want our words, as we teach God's Word, we want to teach it rightly, truly. And also, we want our conduct and our speech to be exemplary, to be an example, to encourage one another. Look at verse 2, James says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, when he talks about stumbling here, he's not talking about mistakes that one makes like, Man, I forgot to take out the trash. Or I forgot to pick that up at the grocery store. No, when he talks about stumbling, he's referring to sin. And James includes himself says, we all stumble, admitting that he himself also sinned, referring to the people of God. We are saved by the grace of God, and at the same time, we are sinners. The problem is indwelling sin. We live in this body of flesh. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 7. The gospel does. As we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from sin's penalty. There is therefore now no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. We've been freed from being under sin's dominion to where now we're being set free from its power to where we can abstain from our fleshly... Freed from sin's presence. Our flesh is not a friend but a real foe. James, in fact, has already alluded to this. Chapter 1, verse 14, you are lured and enticed by your own evil desires. There is evil within us. He gets at it again in chapter 1, verse 21, therefore, taking off moral filth and ridding yourself of the evil that is so prevalent. One of the ways that we Sin very often it is in our speech, our talking. In fact, in this context is what James is zeroing in on. For the tongue is mentioned or referenced eleven times in twelve verses. We sin with our words, whether it's towards our spouse or our children, our co-workers, our roommates, our friends. That. In that prayer, we're mentioning something about sinning with our words. Not only that, James makes known that we sin in our speech, which is why the Christian life should be marked by this ongoing confession of sin and turning away from it. Because we constantly sin with our words. Yet James tells us that there is hope for us. That we're able to exercise self control. Did you see it? He says, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature. By the grace of God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can hold our tongues in check. Through the means of grace of study and prayer and dying to oneself and the fellowship, we can grow in godliness maturing in Christ. And one of the ways that it's shown is not just in how much of the word we know, but also in exercising self-control. So by the grace of God, we're able to rein in the very thing that wants to run wild, our tongues. James says this in James 1:26. if anyone does not, if anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, His religion is useless and he deceives himself. James is making clear that the gospel of Jesus Christ is so transformative that genuine faith in the gospel changes us in such a way that our words go from being colorful and volatile to being edifying and helpful. James says that control your tongue, you can control your body. And one may hear this and be like, man, how is that possible? Really? Well, the thing is, one of the most common ways we sin is with our words. The impulse to sin with our speech is always present. So by God's grace, if we can quiet our hearts and control our tongues, by his grace, we can also control our bodies. James goes on to give two examples that were common in a Greco-Roman world to illustrate how something so small can have an outsized effect. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. First, he uses a horse, very large and wild animal. And yet, humanity has subdued horses in such a way that this wild animal was the common means of transportation back then. Now, how is that possible? James gets at it. Something so small, done by a bit. A metal object, very small, being placed into a horse's mouth. And all of a sudden, that wild thing is now controlled. Training that horse to where you can guide it wherever you want to take it. Something so small, like a bit, has a disproportionate effect on something so large, like a horse. Then he says, ships, the same thing. Huge means of transportation. Being on top of the water and floating. Fluctuating with speed based upon the wind. And yet this huge thing is guided by something so, so small. A rudder little wooden steering wheel at the bottom of a ship to where you turn that thing and that big ship is going to turn in the direction you're turning it. Again, something so small has this disproportionate effect on something so large. Well, James in verse 5 brings it home. He says, so too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. God has created this three inch piece in our mouths to have a profound impact upon our lives and the lives of others. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Real damage can be done with the tongue. With it, we can cut one another we can beat up each other with our words and in fact we can also influence one another to think of ourselves contrary to what god has spoken in his word being ashamed of how god has wired us with our tongues we can even influence one to assume that god doesn't love them with our tongues we can destroy or labor towards the destruction of one's faith in Jesus. The flip side is also true. It's seen that the Lord has made our mouths, with our tongues, we can be His mouthpiece speaking truth in love, intending to build up and help, strengthening the faith of the saints here. Beloved, how do you use your tongue? The reality is, our words are non-refundable. As soon as our words exit our mouths, we will never be able to return them. And many of us know this. Many of us grieve over the words that we have spoken to people, wishing that we can get those very words back. So may we be sobered by the reality of our words, beloved. The potency of our words should provoke sobriety and a slowness to use them. You want to be clear in what we're trying to do and seeking to help others with our words. The reality is only God can speak quickly and his word is always good and right and true and helpful and encouraging and built up. Only God, not us. And because we are sinful, because we have evil desires, then how much more should there be a real slowness to open our tongues, to open our mouths and use our words? Because we know this to be true, how much more should we be motivated to mortify our flesh and pray to walk by God's Spirit that we may display self-control in speech? That if we're going to influence anyone towards anything, that it will be towards godliness and Christ-likeness. Beloved, may we be sobered by our words. Well, may we also be helpful with the usage of the tongue. James goes on to give a third illustration of how something so small can bring about big effects. And here he is focusing on the destruction that can take place. Look at verse 5. He says, Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And in verse 6 he says, And the tongue is a fire. Wednesday, November 23rd, 2016, in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, there was a small fire in a park. And that small fire immediately turned into a wildfire, consuming so much. And the fire continued to worsen because of the the weather spreading in such a way that it took days to put that fire out. Destroying 11,000 acres and killing 14 people. Something so small caused so much destruction. And James says our tongues can do that. The tongue, it is an instrument of mass casualties. when we use our tongues in harmful ways, we can break spirits and do some real, real, real damage. Think about how beat up one would hear if they were told that they are worthless. Or constantly say, hear words that, man, you trash. You're good for nothing. Or think about a people group for hundreds of years being told that they are less than human. Equivalent to animals, monkeys in particular. Think about what that would do to one's psyche. The destruction that that would cause. James says the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It's placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Beloved, the seed of every sin lies within this body of flesh. And all kinds of sins begin to be spewed out of the mouth. It is a world of unrighteousness. Think about all the ways we can sin with our speech. Boasting, grumbling, grumbling complaining, dishonoring people, lying, self-righteousness, jealousy, hatred, immortality, immorality. And I just named a few. Division. John Calvin says the slender portion of flesh contains the whole world of iniquity. This passage James is emphasizing the deadliness of our tongue. He says that it is a fire, it is a world of unrighteousness. In verse 8, he says that it is a restless evil, that it is full of deadly poison. Romans chapter 3 verse 13 says their throat, when when Paul gives this universal um, verdict with all humanity, this is what he says about us, about our mouths, he says their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongue. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Brothers and sisters, our tongues are truly weapons of mass destruction. Think about how many battles were fought, starting with words. How many fights, how many people were killed. How many wars were started because of hateful and harmful speech? To where in every season, we sin with our speech, and in every time we do, we hurt ourselves and others. In fact, it's when we let our tongues have its way, what follows us is a trail of destruction. Broken and ruined hearts, broken and ruined lives. In fact, it's when we use our tongue in these sinful ways. We, in fact, doing Satan's bidding. Now we are devouring one another with our words, laboring towards destruction of others, bringing about death in the lives of people and our own demise. And our sinful words don't go unnoticed. For the holy God who reigns in heaven, he is omniscient. Meaning he is everywhere all the time. He is all-knowing. He knows the very words that you want to say before you say them. And not only that, our God is the greatest scribe there ever was or ever will be. He records everything every single word that we utter. And on that final day, our words will take the witness stand and they will objectively testify either for or against us. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. The Lord takes our words very seriously. In a day and age, this day and age, volatile rhetoric has become normalized. You see it with politicians. You see it with people. You especially see it on social media. Constantly see somebody being gaslighted. And what's even worse is that it beco- becomes some of a common practice even among Christians, or at least professing Christians, to where disagreements turn into disputes. It immediately gets personal, character gets assassinated. You do this online, and people do this in person. And, beloved, this grieves God. It dishonors him. In fact, when we do this, we belittle the power of the gospel of Christ, showing that we act as if the gospel is not powerful enough to keep us from withholding our words. And as we continue to do this, if we continue to do this, the reality is we also lose our distinctiveness before the unbelieving world to where we talk just like them. And I don't say them as if we are better than because we're not. But we are different because Christ has saved us by his grace. To where when we talk just like the world, they would look at us and be like, well, why should I trust in Jesus? Your language is just as bad as mine. I don't see much of a difference. We hurt our witness, and it hurts the message that God has given us to proclaim. In verses 7 and 8, James goes on, he says, Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Irrespective of one's faith, all people are created in the image of God, and all people are given dominion. We see this especially over various animals in the animal kingdom." have subdued them to where dogs, elephants, tigers somewhat, dolphins, and whales have been tamed by humankind. Think about the circus. You see it on display. You see the image of God. You're seeing the dominion that God has given. Think about the zoo. Think about SeaWorld. Dolphins obeying seals and other sea lions. All of it just testifies to the reality that human beings are made in the image of God. It shows that Genesis 1, 26 to 28 is true. James says that we can tame animals two or three times our size, and yet we can't control our tongues. That's a big problem. The tongue is a big problem, but the tongue ain't the only problem. Not only that, there's in fact a deeper problem than the tongue, because what comes out of our mouth flows from our hearts. As we heard in the Scripture reading, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And so a sinful heart will lead to sinful speech. We can't change our hearts. You you go on the table, you go to the hospital, they do open heart surgery, they give you a new heart, you're going to have another sinful heart. And it's going to show itself in sinful speech. We can't wash our mouths out enough with soap to where our tongues have been made new and we're speaking differently. Beloved, this word is intended to humble us. James says that no one can tame the tongue. It humbles us, but it shouldn't cause us to be hopeless. Why? Because as Jesus said in the Gospels, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You see, Christ, who is the sinless one, he came and he suffered for our salvation defeating Satan, sin, and death. As he rose from the grave, and by the grace of God, he saves all who trust in him. And so a wild and uncontrollable tongue is not too hard for Christ. In fact, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God deals with the fruit, with the root and the fruit. Our salvation in Jesus, it addresses both. The Spirit of God regenerates us to where that heart of stone is taken out and given a heart of flesh. He purifies our hearts. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is the same Spirit who lives in all who trust in Christ. And it's by God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can begin to exercise self-control so we say with well, James, yeah, absolutely, no man in and of themselves can, tra- can control their tongue, but we know the words of Jesus that his grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. And so we draw near to him asking God to do for us in Christ by the grace that he gives through the power of the Spirit what we cannot do for ourselves, and that is to control our tongue." The grace that saves us is the same grace that changes us. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Beloved, God's grace is enough to control the tongue. And so, friends, if you are here this morning and you know yourself to not be a Christian, I am glad that you are here. I'm sure the words of James resonate with you. That you have used your words in harmful ways. That you are unable to control your tongues. And you've probably tried and tried and tried and to no avail. Friends, the solution is not to try harder but to trust in Jesus. God alone is the solution, for He does for us through the work of His Son and what we can never do for ourselves. He saves as we turn from our sins and place our hope, confidence, and trust in Jesus Christ who died for sin and rose from the grave. And He changes us in such a way to where our lives are truly changed by the grace of God. So the very God whom you've offended is the same God who extends mercy. Friends, I would implore you this day to trust in Jesus Christ. If you want, you can talk more with members after service. We would love to have that conversation with you. Love the gospel of Christ, it transforms us, and that includes our speech. So much so that Paul would give the imperative in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. The gospel is so transformative. And when we trust in Jesus, we go from being verbal boxers to good doctors. Think about a boxer. They're constantly just to where we are good doctors. At least we are to be good doctors. Nobody likes going to the doctor's office, but everybody loves and remembers a really good doctor. A good doctor is always for their patient. Even when their patient is acting crazy, a good doctor is able to exercise self-control, speaking firmly and gently for the good of their patient. Beloved, that's what Christ does for us through the gospel. We restrain our words to where our words are spoken to speak the truth in love that we may help one another, we may encourage one another. And so, how can we grow in our words being helpful? My encouragement is before you speak, ask yourself these two questions how or what I'm about to say, how will it honor God? And how will it help my neighbor? How will my words honor God? And how will it help my neighbor? This gets at the royal law. And if we see that it doesn't, then we don't say anything. We're not ready to have a conversation, at least a healthy one. And so we exercise self-control because our goal is to honor Christ. Because we want our speech to be helpful by God's grace. And so, beloved, seeing how destructive our words can be, seeing that Christ has saved us, may we not just not say those things, but may we also labor for our words to be helpful. That they build up any who hear them by God's grace. So, we We want to be helpful with the usage of our tongue. We also want to be consistent with our profession of faith. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. James included himself. He's speaking to the covenant community and he's exposing the reality that there is inconsistent speech. At the same mouth, are doing contrasting things. He's already spoken about double-mindedness in chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, instructing us to not be double-minded. And here we see double-mindedness displayed in the usage of the tongue. He says, with the tongue we bless God. This is the highest function of the tongue. God has made our mouths for this very purpose, that we may honor, praise, and magnify him. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, with the fruit of our lips we are to offer praise to our God and King. In Psalm 150, the psalmist tells us to praise the Lord. And he concludes with, let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. That's the King James Version. If you see what's happening in heaven as we read of it in Revelation, holy angels are ceaselessly praising the Lord with their mouths. The saints who have been redeemed, who are there, they are ceaselessly praising the Lord with their mouths. We who have been saved by the grace of God, that is how we are to use our mouths. And what's evident is that that's not the only way that we use our mouths. Blessing and cursing. If blessing is the best thing that we can do with our mouths, and cursing is the worst that we can do. Because cursing is God's prerogative alone, not man's. In fact, he does it, when he does it, he's condemning, and it's in response to wickedness to evil. In fact, we've been prohibited from doing so. Romans chapter 12, verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. So to do both would be saved us and our salvation impacts our speech. As said earlier, regeneration directly impacts verbal communication. God has redeemed us. There's a new us, a new talk, and a new walk. Out of a love for Jesus, we want to honor and glorify him. To where, Like in the words of the 19th century hymn, we say, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my will and make it thine. It shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. In fact, when we pray this type of prayer, our speech would be set apart by the grace of God as we walk in obedience to it. Now, this doesn't happen perfectly because, again, we struggle in the body of flesh, but it should happen progressively by the grace of God. And when we sin with our speech, there should be a brokenheartedness, a contrition, a repentance and confession, seeking the Lord's mercy. James is making clear that a lifestyle of inconsistent speech, or one persistently Blesses, and yet they also always slander and chide where there is no repentance and zero progress. Friends, if that is true of you, I want you to heed James's words in chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Friends, if this is you, I want to remind you that God extends mercy. I would admonish you to turn from your sins. And trust in Jesus, for he will accept you just as you are. And address the children who are in here. Children of Truth and Grace Catechism is clear. That you, you and I, we are made by God for his glory, and that includes our mouths. So how we use our tongues matter to God. It matters to your parents. Your parents will tell you don't say harmful or rude things to one another or to others. It matters even more to God. He wants you to honor him with, his word, with your words because that is why he created your mouth. When you get home today, ask your parents, what does it look like to honor God with your mouths? For I know for a fact your parents would love to have that combo with you. Dame says these things should not be this way. He's driving this home. In three illustrations that were very common to the people there. He says, does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Back then they would have been very familiar with these illustrations, especially with water. You know, they know that, hey, the water is sweet, is drinkable, the water is bitter, is dangerous. The thing is, the water will never be both at the same time, at least that spring of water. Then he goes on. The principle of fruit is this the trees produce according to its kind, and only according to its kind. Fig trees produce figs, nothing else. Grapevines produce grapes. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 7 you will recognize them by their fruit, or grapes gathered among thorn bushes, or figs among thistles. So, what is the point? He's saying, Well, the point is that you've been born again by God's grace. It should be evident in your speech that our words should not contradict our confession of faith in Christ but give credence to them that among the people of God by the grace of God there should be a habit of honoring him with our speech that of my heart be acceptable in your sight o lord my rock and my redeemer You have redeemed me. I am yours. I want to honor you with everything. That includes the instrument of my mouth. It is as our hearts are progressively consumed with God's glory in Christ that our words will reflect it. They say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. We know that words are very hurtful. We know the effect. We know that God has done everything in Christ to give us the ability to exercise self-control with our tongues. And so may we do so by the grace of God, desiring for him and him alone to be honored. Let's pray.